I beg your pardon? What? Yeah, uh, here. Uh, dated, um, four weeks ago. You surrendered the shares and stated to deliver only the envelope of personals. Don't you remember doing that, sir? No. Uh, I don't remember that. Because I, I didn't do that. Why would I do that? I wouldn't do that. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's, this is uh, <clears throat> a mistake has been made. And it needs to be corrected. Well, I agree. It's a strange thing you did, but... Not strange. Please... Strange is, you know, a little out of the ordinary, but still plausible. Giving away $100 million in shares in a Fortune 500 company for some uh, knickknacks. This isn't strange. It's uh, insane. No one would do that. This doesn't make sense. I mean, unless you think uh, this is a $40 million can of hairspray, uh, which is pink. And, 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 you know, what, this is a $100 million book of matches? I mean, you know, I've been a lot of it for a couple of years. I don't know, is this back in style now? Is this, are these $100 million sunglasses? Am I missing something? <laughs> Dickheads, like a pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from San Diego, California to your brain hole. We have already signed contracts to forget that we recorded this podcast when it is done. In fact, one of our guys already signed that contract because he forgot to show up. <laughs> so we are down a dickhead. We only have myself, David Agronoff, author of The Vegan Revolution with Zombies, Punk Rock Ghost Story, and Boot Boys of the Wolf Reich, and... And I'm Langhorn J. Tweed. Right. Anthony is not with us tonight, so you're just going to have to use the theater of the mind to imagine him saying, it was boring, or whatever, you know, <laughs> he would have said it that, at these moments. But uh, we'll have him back for uh, the penultimate truth. But for tonight, it's just the two of us, so, yeah. Anyways, uh, some some uh, one other update that I want to give you at the beginning of this, which is... Which is that, uh, Larry put up a Patreon. This is not specifically a Patreon for dickheads, but if you want to support the work that we're doing with dickheads, this is the place to do it. So in a minute, he's going to tell you some more about the Patreon, but I want to tell you, we do put a ton of work into this podcast. It may not seem it sometimes, <laughs> but, uh, Larry does all kinds of editing, hours and hours of audio editing and video editing and you know, that's a lot of hard work. Uh, we've got a bunch of subscriptions to put uh, the podcast up. You know, we definitely appreciate it uh, if you support the Patreon. Uh, Larry, what do they get for supporting the Patreon? Uh, at, the, at the moment, I don't have, like, T-shirts or anything like that, but that's coming someday. Right now, they get a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, like I'll post early uh, interviews and certain behind the scenes things and bonus uh, episodes, bonus episodes, show notes. Yeah. So we've got bonus episodes coming up on other science fiction classics by other authors, Dick adjacent yeah. as it were, for example, beyond Apollo by Barry Maltzberg, which has a special guest, uh, James Reich, who's the author of the song, my enemies sing and soft invasions. Plus the, all the interviews we had at the PKD festival. Yeah, the uh, PKD Film Festival. So that's yeah. that's all coming up. 
And uh, so you can get it first and foremost if you support the Langhorn J Tweed Patreon, which will be in the show notes, I'm sure. Yep. And so other than that, uh, we've got a doozy of an episode for you. It's one we just could not wait to get to, <laughs> which is Paycheck, which was the 1953 published story by Philip K. Dick and the 2003 movie. And so we're going to start off with the short story. Awesome. Yeah. So we've got the publication history. So this story was written after the story Meddler and before the story Out in the Garden, which I have not read either of those stories yet, but they are in the collected stories of Philip K. Dick, Volume 1, that I have sitting in front of me. Eventually, we'll probably read those stories. I did also notice that Dick's first ever short story ever, 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 ever sold, Rug is in this collection and I was thinking Larry we should oh, probably nice. yeah we should probably do an episode about that one just specifically yeah cuz it was the very first thing and shout out to Tony Boucher again yeah Tony bought the first Phil K Dick story which ah. I just learned today in Rug and he uh definitely in the notes for uh collected stories of Philip K Dick volume 1 PKD gives uh, a shout out to Tony nice uh, uh, in the uh story notes so, yeah, so this so one... he's even a much more important person in Dick's life than we thought. Yeah, I mean, we knew he was important because we've shouted him out probably every fucking episode so, yeah. at this point. Uh, so, I, I, in fact, for those of you looking for Dickhead's drinking games, shout out to Tony Boucher. <laughs> pretty, pretty good one. You might get pretty toasted. It's a good start. Yeah, I mean, this coming from the straight edge guy, so I really don't know how well that would work, but I don't have experience with that. Yeah. So, um, but if you look at the, okay, now in the history, according to the Encyclopedia Decania, they say, looking at the calendar of submissions to Philip K. Dick's uh, agency, SMLA, the Scott Meredith Literary Agency, in the second half of 1953, we can see that he was busy he wrote 22 stories that reached the SMLA before January 54, which we know a lot of those stories from that year are the ones that were turned into uh, Electric Dream episodes. So, Is it exclusive or do we know, do we know that? The majority of the stories that were made into the episodes were from that period of 1953 so far. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't think exclusively, but. Yeah, but uh, included in that time period is uh, Paycheck, which would be interesting because I would actually, it's too bad that Paramount owns the film rights. Right. All right, because I would actually like to see Electric Dreams do yeah. take on take on this, but we'll get to that later. So Paycheck came in a package with Out in the Garden and The Great Sea, which we know was recently turned into a virtual reality game. Or which is... just came out the other day. Awesome. Which order these stories were written, we're not entirely certain, but Decania, the Encyclopedia Decania does believe that Medler and Out in the Garden were the ones before and after. But we do know what, uh, we do have some comments from PKD, uh, directly on this story. So we have two quotes, as a matter of fact. And the first one, did you want to read that one, Larry? Sure, it's the how much? Yeah. 
And this is from Dick? This was from 1976, the notes that went with the, sh- the best of Philip K. Dick collection. All right. How much is a key to a bus locker worth? One day it's worth 25 cents, the next day thousands of dollars. In this story, I got to thinking that there are times in our lives when having a dime to make a phone call spells the difference between life and death. Keys, small change, maybe a theater ticket. How about a parking receipt for a Jaguar? All I had to do was link this idea up with time travel to see how the small and useless, under the wise eyes of a time traveler, might signify a great deal more. He would know when that time might save your life. And back in the past, again, he might prefer that time to any amount of money, no matter how large. So, yeah, I like this quote because one one of the things that I really do like about the story is the concept is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great concept. And uh, how well it was pulled off in the short story versus the movie and all that we'll get into. But just for the sheer concept, if you tell people the concept... You could see why it got greenlit as a movie and, you know, why. It's a very interesting idea that, you know, even though you can't go to the future, you can still affect your past by knowing the future. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. I I should say it was the magazine that it was published in was Imagination Magazine. There were a lot of science fiction magazines at the time. And so the Encyclopedia Decania has the cover. So we'll, we'll include that in the YouTube video, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I, it was automatically a classic from him. And it was definitely, it was collected in the best of Philip K. Dick, which was a collection that came out in the mid seventies. So it was like his first, like, you know, greatest hits album. But yeah, one here, one thing that's interesting too is we have one other quote from PKD. And he basically talks about it being a time travel story in a way. Larry, you see that quote up there? I think so. Paycheck? Yeah. yeah. Paycheck is another time travel story which, like Meddler, is well handled. A repairman for a mister- mysterious company is sent to the past, and when he returns, he's snatched up by the police. But with the help of his paycheck, quote-unquote paycheck, it should be, for two years of unconscious work, a handful of common objects with little intrinsic value, he escapes and succeeds to his hidden goal. This story reminds me of the much later "We can remember it for you" wholesale for some for some reason. Well, yeah, for some reason, for some reason, it's very similar. <laughs> yeah, and you definitely see that there's a quadrangle or a quadrilogy of paranoid stories with this kind of neuro memory what is real kind of thing going on and they all got made into movies which is paycheck uh minority report minority report we can remember for you wholesale and imposter Mm -hmm. and i would say you know those four there's a reason why there's that kind of paranoid uh, pkd movie action movie thing that really doesn't resemble his written work that is kind of Almost like a subgenre when you see that that they have influenced other movies yeah. that feel like, and I know I've said before, um, I, I co-wrote a novel with Ed Morris called Flesh Trade a couple of years ago, and we've talked about how the movie is influenced by PKD movies more than it's influenced <laughs> by PKD novels. Writing, yeah. 
and uh, in the sense of that it has a ticking clock and it has that kind of paranoid, like on the run kind of thing with the mind memory stuff going on. Yep. It, and and for that reason, like, I only bring that up because this 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 definitely this movie fits into that, and I think it's the last one, right? Chronologically, uh, yeah, of, of the this. four, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, cause you know, the adjustment bureau came out after this, but it doesn't really fit into this. It's, no. it's PKD, but it doesn't fit into, into this kind of niche. Well, it, the story especially doesn't. Yeah. You know, the, <laughs> when you compare all the, all those stories, the, mm. the stories that became these, these paranoid action movies were very, very similar and very actiony in the stories themselves. Whereas, you know, Adjustment Bureau d- isn't doesn't fit that, that mold sort at of all. Mold. No, yeah, no, and uh, and I haven't read the Golden Man. Was it the Golden Man? Uh, the is, one that became next. Cr- yeah, chronologically, the next PKD movie that came out. I think. Yeah, I. I don't know, uh, so I don't know anything have, about how that one goes. I, if I could have gone to the. To Paul Giamatti from Paycheck to have a movie erased from my memory. <laughs> that might be next. Um, although I don't remember it well at all. Well, that's but good because you're probably going to have to watch it. We're going to have to fucking watch it. <laughs> and you can bet your ass Anthony's going to have something better to do. <laughs> um, so it'll just be you and me again, yeah. I'm sure. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll rope somebody else into, what? <laughs> into that one. Yeah. Yeah. We'll try. Uh, we'll try. Somebody who just really likes to talk about Nicolas Cage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll get a huge Nick Cage fan. <laughs> Somebody who just really, yeah, I can't wait to talk about it. So <laughs> maybe there's a Julianne Moore podcast because, you know, she's amazingly enough in that movie too. Is she? I think oh, so. Wow. I think so. Or Jessica Biel maybe. I don't know. It's not that you could confuse those two, but. <laughs> Well, Eddie, the uh, the vampire movie that Nick Nick Cage did, um, Jessica Biel is in that one. I know that. Uh, the Kiss of the Vampire, or is that what it's called? Jessica the, Biel, was the one like where he two thinks, years old when that movie got made. Kiss no, of the Vampire. Wasn't. Kiss of the Vampire is old, dude. Well, no, the the Nicolas Cage movie. I'm, now I'm going to look it up. All right. Well, while you're looking that up, uh, one of the things that I really do like about the concept. Here is, I like the kind of cosmic nature of exploring these trinkets and the idea, I like this concept that PKD talked about in the quote of the difference in having a dime. Um, like, vampire's kiss, not kiss of the vampire. What year? Vampire's kiss. What year? That was 1988. Jessica Biel was probably. Oh yeah, like, not Jessica Biel. It was, uh, Julianne Moore. Flash dance. Oh. <laughs> That's I'm, not all, even close. I'm all confused. Yeah, I, I was talking about Justin Timberlake's wife. She was like two years old when Vampire's Kiss came out, probably. Jennifer yes. Beals. Jennifer Beals. I, I can see how I got that one mixed up. Yeah, maybe. All right, so anyways, back to the concept of... Because, I mean, honestly, like, there are people who get hit by cars, and if they, like, dropped their... They dropped something and didn't step out in the street at that moment, they they could be alive and i think this concept of all these like trinkets and little things having this cosmic nature in the beginning i think it's one of the things that the movie lacks uh, because the story starts off with 
the mystery of what the fuck are these things. And I think I, I almost wish the movie, well, we're, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, so we're going to have to, we're going to review the story first as we always do. So we've gone through the quotes. So Larry, you yeah. know what time it is. It's that time. Story breakdown. Story breakdown. That's much harder by myself. God damn it, Anthony. All right. All right. Yeah, so I'm supposed to do this now? Yeah, story breakdown. All right. Paycheck by Philip K. Dick. It's a story. Is a story. And in this story, our hero, Jennings has been on a job for two years that he is not aware of. Well, he's aware that he did the job for two years, but he had his memory wiped of being there for those two years. And they, uh, they apparently singed it out of his brain by magic. But, uh, he wakes up and he's with Rex Roth or whatever his name is. And they're chatting. And he's like, Hey, dude, good job. You're the best mechanic we've ever had. So your paycheck's over there. Go get Rethric. it. Rethric. Rethric. Right. Because it wouldn't want to be something that people would recognize. Yeah. No no <laughs> real names for PKD. We got to come up with. All right. So he goes and instead of a paycheck, he has these little items. What cultural or- origin do you think Rethric is? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there is one for that one, if that is even a name. Yeah, that's – anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets his little trinkets. He's all, oh, you son of a bitch. What did I do to myself? And uh, then – I wouldn't have done this. <laughs> then he goes downstairs and is immediately arrested by the the new wave police who are – SP. that Who are agents of the government because the government has taken over everything except for businesses. Mm-hmm. Businesses are the only safe haven for human beings from these, this totalitarian government. So, so, there, so there's a lot of, okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What are you doing? I know. I'm starting to. No commentary. Talk. Not yet. <laughs> All right. So he, he gets arrested and he's like, Oh, this sucks. And then he sees the cops guns and he's like, Oh, this really sucks. So then he's checking out his little items. He's like, Oh, I can get out of the car with this piece of wire so he jimmies the car's future lock and gets out of the car runs away gets on a bus the uh, the bus token taker machine robot comes up to him and is robot does not does not compute you do not have proper fare and he says yes i do and he pulls out a coin a little token Ta-da. and boom he's free and so he he runs away and he's like oh i got to figure out what's going on he figures out Oh, the place that the I must have been working is in a little town in Iowa or something because I have this little half movie stub that has the name of a theater or a show or something and the half of the town's name. So he goes to this town and in no time flat figures out where the place is, which was, he's like, hey, taxi driver, do you know where this place is? Taxi driver says no. The next taxi driver says, oh, yeah, they send a bunch of guys there all the time to do work. Yeah. And it seems super secret. And he's like, oh, that must be the place. He's like, So he's coming up with this plan to uh, sort of 
like make sure that the government doesn't take him and that he gets to live as a free guy, sort of. And so what he does is he goes to Kate. Is her name Kate? Uh, hold on. <clears throat> but uh, let's just say it's Kate. And she she was the one that gave him his stuff to begin with. And he's like, I know where she lives for some reason. Goes to her house, which is in this little town, and says, hey, would you help me out? And she says, of course I will, because you're cute. And I think we like each other. Kelly. Kelly. All right. So Kelly says, you're cute. And I think we like each other. And so they, he comes up with this plan. He breaks into the place by using another one of his little trinkets. And he goes and he takes picture of this time machine that, uh, that he must have been working on the whole time. And then he gets out, gives this stuff to Kelly. And then has some more adventures and then ends up in the office with Rick's Wrath, Rock's Ruth, whatever his name is. And Rick, he's like, Hey Rick dude, Rath, Hey dude, Ricky uh, Rockman. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to bring down your, your business or anything, but, but, uh, I want to be your partner. And, and then Rukrith is like, Oh man, I am great. I don't, I don't want, to, I don't want a partner. I'm happy with my, my family doing the stuff and I'm in charge and you can just, I guess basically just piss off. And then so he says, but whoa, I have, I, I know where the stuff is because the girl is your daughter and he does know where the stuff is. And then he has the ticket for the stuff, the, all the pictures and things. And then boom, the story's over. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I went quick on that one. You did, but. Yeah, it's funny because when he's like asking the cabbie, it's like I had the th- thought that he he might as well have just said like, "Hey, I only got twenty pages to do this story, yeah, so right. you gotta just tell me where this corporation is." <laughs> um, he talks to he talks to the uh, the guy in the coffee house or or diner or whatever it is, and then he immediately talks to the taxi drivers and figures out the whole thing <laughs> that the government has been searching for years to find this place. Yeah, um, so my, I think this is an okay story. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. Here's the thing is, I think he had enough for a whole novel here. I know he wasn't writing novels yet, because... You I, do? I... Well, yeah, I mean... A short novel, but I think, because he doesn't really do any world building in the story, like, the government... Yeah, it, it turns into, it's pretty much a one-trick pony. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, um... So the funny thing is, is like, I definitely see where the studios and the screenwriters or whoever, like, got this project off the ground. I'm sure they were saying, like, we got a total recall on our hands. This is. This well, is I think they were thinking minority report at that point. Probably. We got, uh, a, we got another minority report on our hands. Um, which, you know, unfortunately, they, I, I We'll get to this when we get to the movie, but they chose the wrong director. Um, which that is, that is, I bet that was hard to say because he is a director that we both really like. So. Right, right. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that because we're going to talk a lot about John Woo when we get to the movie. But yeah. you could see where like the foundation of this working, where you could see where people would look at the story and say, dude, this is a movie. This, this, yeah. this, this, this could happen. Um, and I, there's a lot of things that I do like about the story. Now there, it's not to say that the story doesn't have moments of world building, 
There's some good things. I think yeah, uh, the split between the government and and uh business. Yeah. I think was really well done. Yeah, so uh Reth Rick Rockman Johnny <laughs> Rotten uh, says it's almost two years later. You'll find a lot of things have changed. The government fell a few months ago. The new government is even stronger. The SP secret police have almost unlimited power. They're teaching the school children to inform now. That was interesting. Right. Um, but we, we all saw it coming. Um, let's see what else. New York is larger. This is when he's reviewing, you know, Hey, well, you were asleep. Um, can you imagine <laughs> if in 2000, like 14, you took this job, right? Yeah. And then when you woke up, they were like, oh yeah, by the way, Donald Trump's, <laughs> Donald Trump's president. president. <laughs> Shit. Ah, kind of wacky world did I wake up to? Yeah. This can't be real. <laughs> Put me back to sleep. Put me back to sleep. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's weird. Kind of the story kind of hops around a lot for, for, for such a short story. And I think some of the, all that world building and the interesting thing, like, if PKD were to flush this out into a novel, what I was more thinking is, like, World Jones made, for example, or, uh, like, Martian Time Slip has, like, the kind of the one concept that kind of starts it. Yeah. And so I think he would probably have to have other storylines going on than just Jennings and the Mind Wipe. Right. But I think if he were to do some interesting things with the government and stuff, you could have had something really interesting there. So I, I, I definitely think it could have been a little bit more. Uh, so then potentially, but yeah, but, I mean, yeah. it's fine the way it is. Yeah. I like, I think this is a good story overall. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself, um, a little bit on overall thoughts, but I thought it's funny. It's uh 50,000 credits, which doesn't sound like a lot for two years. Right. Right. Um, uh, in this, but we don't know what a credit is worth. So yeah. Each credit is worth ninety five thousand dollars. Yeah, something. right. <laughs> um, it doesn't seem like a lot of credits for for what he's getting. He definitely, I like how he plays with the idea of. He does a good job of playing with the idea of how weird it would be to wake up after two years. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that he saw his own handwriting, and so you got in the trinket. The trinkets. There's a lot more of them in the movie. So yeah, uh, there's like I think there's. 20, he says there's 20. Right. Or 19 or 20. And so it's interesting, too, because... Um, and there's seven in the story. So. Yeah, and and one of them is just like a green strip, which is interesting because... That, that was weird because he, he somehow intentionally didn't call it an armband. Right. Which it obviously was an armband, but, but it, he just calls it a piece of cloth and, and, and various other ways of saying piece of cloth. And remind me when we interview Cody Goodfellow, who's coming up, because I just finished reading his new novel on America, which is very PKD, and he even acknowledges PKD in the back of the book. So, oh, really? Yes. And so, and we'll, we we will be interviewing Cody about this book, and I highly recommend on America. It's his goddamn masterpiece. But there is a character who wears like a green armband to get into an underground ah. like rave in the book. And I wondered when I read that, I was like, cause I was reading paycheck at the same, <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> right. So I was like, Oh, that's kind of weird. So remind me about the greens, yeah. the green strip when we uh, interview Cody. Um, yeah. Well, we'll have to see if there's a connection there. 
Yeah, we're supposed to do it this month because he's coming down to San Diego, so it should be cool. Okay. And definitely look out for that interview, peeps, because Cody is a serious dickhead. So that was kind of an interesting thing. I like, I, I like all that. Once he gets kind of going in the mystery and the whole Iowa thing is a little weird and it, it's a little meandering. It's a little, oh, oh I was going to say rushed. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and that's definitely not, at this point, this meandering. is meandering. Well, I mean, it's just like it doesn't, it doesn't really fit. It doesn't fit yeah. is what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. And so here's the thing that you have to know about the writing of this and the period that we're in. This is in that period before PKD wrote Solar Lottery when yeah. he had Van Vogt at a convention tell him, like, cool it with the short stories. You need to be writing novels. So he may have, like, even had a concept, like Minority Report, Paycheck, all these stories that he wrote in 1953, The Hoodmaker, whatever. Right. He may have had deeper ideas to expand these into novels, but, but he was trying to make money. He was trying to make money right away and he was trying to make, sh- you know, short stories. And for whatever reason, he expanded Time Pond <laughs> and Vulcan's Hammer, <laughs> but not Paycheck. Right. I, you know, eh, I can see Vulcan's Hammer. We were, we were both. Anyways, I, I, I like that one. Yeah, we like Falcon's Hammer. But the, uh, but. But Dr. White Knight. Like, yeah, that was. We could have, we could have had Paycheck. Yeah. He could have gone to Don Wolheim and said, listen, Donnie. Don- <laughs> this is Donnie. <laughs> Shout out to Don Wolheim. <laughs> listen, Donnie. I know you like Time Pond, but check out Paycheck. Right. <laughs> you know, come on. This could have been something. So. Well, we, we did get our hands on a, a PDF copy of Time Pond, so. Yes, yeah. So we might go back and do a... a now, who who a, got that to you? That would be Jesse from SF Audio. Thank you, Jesse. Yeah, so shout out to Jesse. Um, he is a major collector of old magazines, and he one of the things that the podcast does is they do audio versions of stories from those old magazines that are in public domain. Oh, cool. So, so he collects these old magazines and then he puts them on PDF and then, uh, records audio book style things on, on this, on the stories. So he, he had time pawn. <laughs> <laughs> so he heard us lamenting to, to Evan Lampy that we didn't, couldn't find it. And he's like, right. it's in your Twitter inbox. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, dickheads. Yeah. Um, dickheads unite. So I like that he used just the piece of wire and the bus token to escape. It kind of hammers home that that whole thing that, you know, he had going on with the cosmic nature of all of it. Right. So once he gets to Rethrick's uh, construction out in Iowa, you know, he sees that, oh, they got this big thing going on in Iowa, which we later learn is a time scoop and or mirror. Um, yeah, which I I tried to look up and I couldn't find anything on that. <laughs> you mean there was a real one? I didn't. I didn't know. You know, sometimes he uses real things. Sometimes he doesn't. Larry, this is not one of those real things. <laughs> no. Well, I, he this said is... it was a concept by somebody. I couldn't even find that person. So okay. Yeah, this <laughs> is fully wackadoo. Fully wackadoo. Fully wackadoo. You. Yeah, we don't have mirrors that can look into the future. Or, yeah. or scoops that can, 
Although, you know, in fairness, I was just listening. Scoop things out of the future. Yeah, I was just listening to the podcast Future State with uh, Richard Clark, who is that terrorism expert. For okay. Clinton. He worked for Clinton and Bush. He was the guy that predicted 9-11 and nobody listened to him. Okay. Yeah, and he has this new podcast called Future State where he talks about, like, you know, things we need to know for the next 50 years or whatever. Sure. So I don't agree with a lot of his politics, but, like, he does a lot of good futurism and has a lot of good guests in there. And they just had a whole guy talking about gene editing and, like, all the things that are already available for gene editing right. was really freaky. Yeah. So in the same way, like, I am going to kind of make fun of you for looking up to see if there's really a time scoop. Yeah. There, but there's uh, They have those little kits that you can do home genetic engineering with. Yeah. So, that's well, it's, it's fucking crazy. There's no, there's no limiting what's going to happen in the future. It's Pandora's box for sure. Yeah. So, um, which would be a great episode of the podcast in my dreams that I've never done. <laughs> the science fiction and fact. Ah. <laughs> Which maybe, uh, I don't know, someday maybe. Yeah. So anyways, um, he goes to Stewartsville, Iowa. Stewartsville, Iowa. Which has a newspaper office, lunch counters, hotels, pool rooms, barber shop, television repair shop. And a rocket sales store, because remember, there's rockets going all over the place in this right. world. He caught the rocket across town at one point in New York, so which is kind of funny world building. But apparently, even in Stewartsville, Iowa, you can buy yourself a rocket and get it repaired. <laughs> um, Along with your TV. Yeah. And so, and once the town thins out and there's farms, fields, and miles of green country... In the sky above, a few transport rockets lumbered. They lumbered across the sky, carrying farm supplies and equipment back and forth. So the farmers are shooting rockets. Of course. With their farm supplies. Because it's Iowa, and because that's what you would do in <laughs> Iowa. In future Iowa. Future <laughs> space Iowa. <laughs> shout out to space Iowa. My uh, grandparents were born in Iowa, so shout out to Iowa. Okay. Okay, so we're done with Stewartsville, Iowa. <laughs> yes. They have cabbies. I don't know if they drive uh, rocket cabs. They only have two of them, though, so. Yeah, but they know exactly where he needs to go. I'm looking for a secret facility. Oh, just ask that second cab driver over there. <laughs> He'll tell you exactly where it is and how to get in. Because we only have 20 pages. Imagine <laughs> Magazine will only pay so many words or cents per word. Right. So then we we get to once he meets Kelly, we find out how they blank his memory. Sort of. Sort I mean, of. In a vague sort of sense, they, well, they, they just burn, burn out the memory. Yeah. Cut a tiny wedge from the brain, all your memories of the two years. So it's nice and convenient in this wackadoo science that your memories are exactly stored in a physical spot in your brain. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> they do a much better job in the movie of, of explaining that. Yeah. Yeah, they had a lot more science Showing that. to go by. So Rathrock is developing the time scoop. A time scoop. It's theoretically possible for several years. It's but it's been illegal to experiment with time scoops and mirrors. It's a felony. If you're caught, all your equipment and data becomes property of the government. So Looking, it's a, it's a, like an, a, the equivalent of a water engine, right? You know, you just can't do it. Yeah, because you'll 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 get arrested, and the government will take your time scoop. Which is why you got to have it at a secret 
facility in Stewartsville, Iowa. Apparently, that's secret to everybody except for that second taxi driver. So yeah, those are some of the kind of, kind of I don't know. I I made a lot more notes in the, early in the story than I did later in the story because I was I, I I admit I I I felt like it started off a little stronger than it ended. I don't know if you felt. Did you feel that way? Um, it was like at the end. No, I well I liked the the uh basically the the finale where he's well I guess it's not the finale but the climax where he's inside the facility and. He's using all of his little trinkets and getting through the doors and not getting through the doors and right. all that stuff and taking the pictures and all that. I thought that was that was well done. Yeah, it's more it's yeah, it's more actiony than some of the stuff we've seen in the novel. And then he just gets but he gets out of the facility so easily. That kind of annoyed me. That right. he, he was just like he had to do so much to sneak in, but then to to get out, he just runs through the woods. Right. And then uh, there's some interesting stuff with Kelly. She's going to inherit the corporation or something. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about it like, oh, my God, so long ago when I read this <laughs> 45 minutes ago. <laughs> I finished reading it. I started reading it the other day, but I just finished it. Point is, uh, Paycheck is an interesting story. Yeah, it starts with a very interesting idea. Yeah. So I would probably give it eh, maybe three and a half trinkets out of five or uh, future viewed trinkets. <laughs> I think it's a good story. I think it has lots of potential. Maybe in another 15 years, somebody can remake it as a better movie. I don't know. I, I, I definitely – here's the main thing. I can see why Paramount Pictures greenlit yeah. this. Because the story does have a kind of total recall thing. So, all right, let's talk about the well, movie. Hold on. Let me give it my review. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. And the, uh, I'm, I'm going to give it three future scoops. Time scoops. Time scoops. Cause it's a, it's a decent idea for a story, but it's a great idea. It's kind of a, a generic, it's generically told. Yeah. And it doesn't it doesn't pack much punch even though when you think of the idea it should pack a lot of punch but it it it, it gets through it gets it it gets the point across and I think that that deserves at least an average rating. Yeah, and every time you tell somebody the plot of Paycheck they're like, "Oh, that sounds cool." Yeah. Exactly. And then if you were to tell people the concept and you're like, "That's cool." And it stars Paul Giamatti uh, Aaron Eckhart, Uma Thurman, and Ben Affleck. <laughs> ben right. Affleck. Ben Affleck. Uh, but you're directed probably, by John Woo, who's directed some badass movies. You would think that's a recipe for success, right there. Right. So much so that if you look through our time scoop back to 2003, a much younger David Agronoff went to see Paycheck on opening night. <laughs> Christmas Day of nineteen of two thousand three for my Chinese food in a movie. That's what Jews do on Christmas, by the way. Chinese food in a movie, right? Went to Chinese food somewhere in Hillcrest. I can't remember the name of the place. It doesn't exist anymore. It's by where the Five Guys is. No, there was a Chinese place there, a little Szechuan house. Anyways, we went there, and then we went to see Paycheck at the Mission Valley Mall, and I was really excited. Because it's directed by John Woo. Yeah. 
And so the budget was $61 million. Its domestic box office was $96 million. So it didn't lose money. Yeah, but that's not what they want off of $60 million. Yeah, they want, they want a lot more than that. Um, however, releasing an action movie on Christmas Day is dumping it. So they probably felt okay. Um, now here's an interesting fact about these weird paranoid, uh, PKD thrillers. Imposter was also released on Christmas Day. Yeah. But Paycheck did get a wider release than Imposter. I do remember commercials and there was, you know, yeah. you know, there was buzz about it. It also, to that point, was the biggest paycheck uh for Ben Affleck. It was the most he was ever paid. So of the sixty one million dollars that the movie cost. the budget cost, fifteen million of it was just Ben Affleck. Well, there you go. So it's really a forty five million dollar budget. Exactly. Remember, and boy, was he not worth it at that time. No. Nobody liked Ben Affleck. In fact... No matter, look, young people who think Ben Affleck is this is a good director and a good actor, and even the people that, for some reason, like the he Batman is, he, movie he and is, all that stuff... He is actually a pretty good director. <clears throat> he is a good director, and he is a good writer. But at, at that time, time, he was not either one of those things, any of those things. <laughs> He was the person no one liked. Uh, Paycheck was the – Every Ben Affleck movie was was either successful or unsuccessful. But no matter what, everyone hated Ben Affleck. Some of all fears, oh, Ben Affleck? Really? That's, right. That's who we're going to see as Jack Ryan? This oh was my his God. third time winning the uh... – the Razzie for worst actor. <laughs> uh, the other two times was Geely and Daredevil. Ugh. You know, which, by the way, at the time when he played Daredevil, he said that was the only character, the only superhero character he would ever consider playing. Yep. Uh, which, of course, was not true. So, rot- the, so the critical reception to Paycheck was pretty bad. Out of 157 major reviewers on Rotten Tomatoes, it is certified shit uh <laughs> with a, a score of 27 percent. so yeah it didn't go so well now but uh it, it, you know and john woo had a track record of making terrible movies in the u.s well before we get to that the producer the person who kind of got the project going Uh-oh. is a guy named dean geo garius oh my god who just recently wrote the screen. That can't be correct. That can't be correct. You can look at the notes, but, uh, Georgarius, Jogarius, I don't know. (laughs) Come on, folks. You all know me in pronunciation. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say Jorgarius, but. Okay, so the best thing that this dude has written is the Denzel Washington remake of The Manchurian Candidate, but he also wrote The Meg, but at the, t- at the time, his only writing credit was the sequel to Tomb Raider. But so I don't know why they thought, okay, well, look, whatever, you know, he's got more of a screenwriting career than I have. So, yeah. so that, that doesn't mean anything, when it, right? When it comes to the Meg, right? So whatever he he wrote this, and he was the guy who I guess kind of got the ball rolling on this. So. Let's talk about John Woo for a minute, okay? Yeah. Because I am a huge John Woo fan. Yeah, me too. But 
John Woo is really two directors. Okay. John Woo made a bunch of movies in China. He was known as a, he got his career, cut his teeth. His first ever real movie was a, I mean, he goes back to the Shaw brothers, right? He directed a Kung Fu movie for the Shaw brothers called The Last Hurrah for Chivalry, which was kind of like his early, uh, foray into Kung Fu movies. And, and still even there, you didn't really get to see the full ability that he had as a director. But when it comes to making action movies in China, John Woo became, and I'm going to talk to people like, I know a lot of you know who John Woo is, right? Who are listening <laughs> to this. But I'm going to assume that there's people out there who are dickheads. Have no idea who John Have Woo no is. idea who John Woo is. But when it comes to making action movies in Hong Kong, this guy was amazing. Okay. Yeah. And back in his day. And what made, so he is most known for, I think his big, his first real big hit was A Better Tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and that basically launched the career, not just of John Woo as a director. I mean, he had a bunch of credits before that, but it was also starring Chow Young Fat, right? Yeah. And they came up with this kind of signature look where Chow Young Fat was this double fisted. He'd have guns in both hands and, and A Better Tomorrow was the first of these like crime dramas that had these amazing action scenes. And then he came back a few years later and made A Better Tomorrow 2, which is even crazier. Yeah. Better Tomorrow is okay. And it has a lot of the trademark John Woo action scenes, but A Better Tomorrow 2 is absolutely bananas. Yeah. And when you see it, you're like, you're like, this is better action scenes than like Hollywood movies with eight times the budget. Then he made a movie called The Killer. Okay. Classic. The Killer is a classic. It's a remake. It's kind of a retelling of a French movie called Les Samurai, uh, which was like a kind of art house suspense kind of drama about this guy who was a, an assassin and he blinded this woman in the attempt of trying to kill somebody. And then he kind of carries on this affair with this woman and she doesn't know he's the one that blinded her because he's blind. And <laughs> just like, okay, there's blindness and then she's blind and there's, and yeah. it's blind. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, the killer is amazing and the action scenes are amazing. Yeah. But then really, Okay, he made Once a Thief, which was like kind of his like, it was like a kind of rompy kind of action comedy thing, which was really is good. The, is that the one that had the, uh, uh, all the, the three people? One, like yeah, one there, was a cop and yeah, two there, were thieves or something. Or yeah, something. Once a Thief was like a yeah. heist movie. Yeah. Okay. And don't forget, I, I've got it in front of me. Don't forget Bullet in the Head. Bullet in the Head is great, which is a, that is a hard movie though. That is a Chinese remake of Deer Hunter. Yeah. And if you think the first half an hour of Deer Hunter is excruciating and hard to get through, (laughs) the Chinese remake is even more excruciating. However, if you watch, if you you keep going through that, if you keep going through that, Bullet to the Head is great. But the big one was his last movie or last movie in this era in China, and that's Hard Boiled. And Hard Boiled is absolutely bananas. Like, it's like, kind of like it's Die the Hard. movie that has everything that John Woo is known for. Yeah. So if you're going to watch one Chinese 
John Woo movie, you're going to want to watch either Hard- The Killer or Hard You're going to want to watch Hard Boiled. Yeah, and Hard Boiled is basically like Die Hard in a hospital um, <laughs> in China. Right. <laughs> and it is bananas. The action scenes are totally insanity, but it's amazing. And so you could tell that when this movie got – when Hollywood – because this was the first movie I remember in the 90s. Hard Boiled was the first one I saw because the video store that I went to, one of the guys behind the counter was like, you like crazy action movies? You should watch this. And told me to watch Hard Boiled, and Hard Boiled blew my mind. And then yeah. I went back and watched all of them. But Hard Boiled, I mean, it's just crazy. So you could see why a Hollywood executive would be like, we got to get this guy over here making action movies for us. Yeah. And that's where the problem begins <laughs> because he came over and I'm sorry, I'm doing this with, I, uh, uh, Larry has Move. IMDB in front of him, but I don't. So I'm just going by my memory. Hard but target was the first one. hard target with John Claude Van Damme and they didn't trust John Woo to make that movie. So they hired Sam Ramey to be like his advisor or mentor yeah, or whatever. whatever you want to call it, which, John Woo had made a shit ton more movies than Sam Raimi at that point. Yeah. He just made them in China. And so Sam Raimi, I, I remember hearing a story about how Sam Raimi was like, yeah, they paid me to be there. And I just told John, like, yeah, do what you need to do. He <laughs> <laughs> just kind of left them alone. <laughs> However, the problem with Hard Target was that John Woo had no power with the studio and Jean-Claude Van Damme. And no respect with the actors, you know. Yeah, the actors didn't respect him. And Jean-Claude Van Damme took over the movie. Yeah. His first real, like, kind of a, his first almost kind of control over a movie was uh, Broken Arrow with John Travolta, who he worked with again, and Christian Slater. And, and that one's okay. Uh, it has some cringy-ass moments in it. It does. But the worst thing that he did was right around there, he tried to remake, do an English language remake of Once a Thief, I think was yeah. next. Yeah. And that it was, it wasn't terrible, but it was, it certainly wasn't as good as the original. It wasn't as good as the original. So it was very hard. And there was uh, American actors in it and it, it just got confused, I think. Yeah. And then he tried to make a pilot for a show and I know it came out way later, but it was called Blackjack. It was with, um, Dolph Lundgren. And believe me, I got so stoked when I was like, oh, dude, John Woo making a movie Dolph with, with Dolph Lundgren. And it's a TV pilot. And it was it was bad. And it didn't come out for years after it was made. <laughs> so I think I've actually, never seen that one. Yeah, I think he made Blackjack before Once a Thief, actually. They made those back to back or something. But his first like real big hit in America was Face Off with John Travolta and Nick Cage. Nick Cage in full Nick Cage mode. Right. And the problem with this movie was that it was a science fiction movie. Yeah. It was meant to be a science fiction movie. And then John Woo came in and was like, I don't do sci-fi. I have no interest in doing sci-fi. Which, by the way, he repeats in the making of featurettes for Paycheck. That really? he just didn't want to do sci-fi. <laughs> and so... Why do they get directors that don't want to do the thing they're doing. Right. I don't understand so, this. So he kind of fucked People up. directing superhero movies. Like, I, don't, I don't read comic books. I hate comics. Face Off is pretty fun to watch because it's so fucking... Over the top. It is ridiculous. 
And so Face Off was like one of the first times where he just straight up took scenes from his old movies, his Chinese movies, and just remade <laughs> some of the action scenes. Anyways, yeah. next he made Mission Impossible 2 and Wind Talkers, which were both very high budget films. Yeah. So Mission Impossible 2. But they both sucked. They both, well, I, I kind of, I somewhat sort of like Wind Talkers. I think Wind Talkers probably is, and you said you haven't seen it, right? I haven't seen, no, not the whole thing. Okay. So, Wind Talkers is like a movie about Navajo codebreakers in World War II. And sort of. Starring Nick Cage. Starring Nick Cage. <laughs> I actually, I, and Christian Slater, so he yeah. used some of his, his stable of actors, uh, his Hollywood actors. I actually, I don't think Wind Talkers is that bad. And I would say of the movies that he made in Hollywood, Wind Talkers is probably the best. But the movie that killed Hollywood for John Woo <laughs> was Paycheck. Yeah. And this is the last movie that he made for Hollywood. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, is. it is. The last one. Yeah. Okay. And which was good because he went back to China and he made a badass ancient His, historic war, war movie. epic called Red Cliff that is amazing. Yeah. Right? And then he co-directed, which he kind of walked in and saved a movie called uh, Reign of Assassins, which was pretty good too. And I have not seen The Crossing, but I... No. Yeah. No, it says there's The Crossing, The Crossing 2, and Red Cliff and Red Cliff 2. Is now, there a Red Cliff 2? Red Cliff got... Was so, Didn't it get spliced together? It got spliced... Okay. Into two movies because it was so long. Oh, okay. Here's the amazing thing about Red Cliff and Red Cliff 2 is that it's a really long movie. It ends up being like three hours. Yeah. But it's um, all based on one chapter of the classic um, Chinese novel, The Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Oh, really? <laughs> the Battle of wow. Red Cliff in, in The Romance of the Three Kingdoms is one chapter. Wow. So what he did was it's it's a classic novel and it's there's probably over 200 kung fu movies that have been based on one or more parts of yeah. of the romance of the three kingdoms so it's not uncommon to take and in fact the same battle was made into a movie by the with Jet Li called The Warlords. So it's funny because a lot of people I mean like The Warlords and Red Cliff are basically it that's kind of like the Chinese version of Armageddon and Deep Impact coming out at the same time. <laughs> oh, I see. And there's good things about both. And I gotta be honest, I think I like Warlords better, but I'm a big Jet Li mm. fan. So, uh, I don't know. I watched Red Cliff in the theater. Yeah. And, you know, the whole thing. And I was never bored once. No, it's amazing. But the, uh, but my friend that I saw it with, he fell asleep. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but you were like, yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing. Like, we're obviously, and the reason why we wanted to talk about this is not because we thought dickheads are just dying to hear about John Woo. <laughs> but we – is if you hear us in our voices that we're talking about his Chinese films, like, they're fucking great. Yeah. His Chinese movies are great. Uh, Better Tomorrow 2, The Killer, Hard Boiled, Once a Thief, they're, they're great. Bullet to the Head – rough beginning but yeah for the most part it's a good movie his hollywood movies are just not good no and you know, I, 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 you know a lot of people talk about producer interference and you you see this a lot with non 
I, I don't know. Was he English speaking when he came over initially? Yeah. Or just a lot of the Chinese filmmakers did film school in the States. I don't know if John Woo did. I know Choi Hark went yeah. to film school in Austin, Texas. A, a lot of foreign, but, foreign in general. Yeah. Uh, filmmakers, when they come to the U.S. and they try to make a movie with in the Hollywood system, it ends up being producer controlled instead of director controlled. And that usually ends up in a poor movie. Right. And what kept happening is these badass Chinese directors, whether you're talking about John Woo, Ringo Lam, and Choi Hark, all fucking three of them came over here and made fucking Van Damme movies at the height of his (laughs) shittiness as their first American or Hollywood movies. And to varying degrees of success, I would say – Ringo, yeah. Ringo Lamb, the, the, uh, the second one Ringo Lamb made with, uh, well, Ringo Lamb made like three Van Damme movies. Ringo Lamb, oh, really? by, by the way, yeah. Ringo Lamb, who, uh, wrote and directed City on Fire, the movie that Reservoir Dogs is pretty much <laughs> un- is, stolen from. Well, here's the thing. Reservoir Dogs, the entire movie of Reservoir Dogs is like the last 20 minutes of yeah. City on Fire. And so Ringo Lamb is a great director too, and he came over and made a fucking Van Damme movie. But his were a little better because for whatever reason, he and Van Damme, like they made one where Van Damme plays a serial killer and they clone him to. Is that the cyborg? No, cyborg? no, no, no. It's called like Replicant. And, the, and they, they clone the serial killer Van Damme and use the clone oh. to try and track the serial killer. And it's actually pretty fun. Yeah, I think I saw that one in the theater. The commentary track on that one from Van Damme is hilarious uh, and worth seeing, if not the movie. All right, all right. Well, we're 10 minutes into talking about John Woo. Let's get back to the (laughs) – To Phil K. Dick. Yeah. So here's the thing. The idea of – at the time, like I was a ginormous Phil K. Dick fan. I was a big John Woo fan, so I was really excited about the idea of these coming together. But what I should have thought of and I should have remembered is that that John Woo refused to do science fiction with Face Off. He right. still made the movie, but it made no sense that in our cur- in 1997 they would have they would have this technology the technology to switch faces on Nick Cage and John Travolta who have totally different bodies, by the way. But whatever, it's Face Off, right? It's- <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> Forget it. Off. Just it's face off. <laughs> Actually, I kind of want to see face off again. Yeah, <laughs> they're talking about it because face off, at least of all the John Woo movies that he made in Hollywood, face off is at least so stupid. It's really fun to watch. Though. It, yeah, because John Travolta and Nick Cage are just amazing chewing the scenery. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the thing is like Paycheck doesn't really have anything like that. No. Because, like, Total Recall works as a Philip K. Dick adaptation because even though it's ridiculous, Michael Ironside and Arnold Schwarzenegger are chewing the fuck out of the scenery and being ridiculous. And so one of the things that Paycheck is missing, in my opinion, is they paid $15 million to have Ben Affleck in it when – Who has, you know, really nothing to give. There was no – there's no – added personality in his performance there at all. 
Right. And I'm sure you could say like, well, you couldn't cast Arnold Schwarzenegger because who's going to buy him being the scientist who designs the time <laughs> scoop? But I don't give a shit. <laughs> I mean, I would sure like, oh, come on. I didn't pay for that. You gotta pay me. Oh, what yeah, is right. this shit in the envelope? <laughs> Could have been so much better. <laughs> what is this stuff? I did not leave this. I did not sign this. I did not do it. How much better would that have been? Yeah, right. It's some, somebody interesting. <laughs> because Ben Affleck is just so fucking flat in this movie. Yeah. And, and then. He doesn't do anything wrong, but he doesn't do anything right either. Exactly. He's just sort of there. And Paul Giamatti is a side character and he plays the comic relief, his comic relief. He's 10 times more interesting in the yeah. short period of time that you see him on the screen. Even in that bizarre, even in that bizarre scene where the, where the Ben Affleck is all of a sudden a bow master for some reason. Right. <laughs> and he has the, the, the remote control <laughs> targets. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God that was in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had to show that he could fight. Yeah, so otherwise. When he, <laughs> when he does John Woo action scenes later. And here's the thing. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm too hard on John Woo, but John Woo. Well, it's fine. We talked enough about John Woo. Move on, David. Move on. Well, but here's the thing. I'm not going to – I don't know that I would direct actors well in Chinese because I don't yeah. know the language. And it's not my language. So, like – a lot of the performances, even from these really great actors like Aaron Eckhart and Uma Thurman, is like Com Fiori. Yeah, you know all the people. They're sort of the, uh, Michael C. Hall is in this, who went on to be Dexter, right? Yeah. And uh, in his first movie, and but, Joe Morton. So yeah, the Joe great Morton. Joe Morton. There, there are good actors in this movie, but like, just, you know, it's just poorly directed. Yeah, and, and I, I swear, it has to be. Producer interference combined with a lack of understanding of the language, and the nuance of the language. Even though we know the budget was $61 million, we know in reality it was more like 45 because yeah. of the majority of that went to Ben Affleck. So 45 is not a lot of money to do like a big action heavy. It's kind of s- similar to the budget of Imposter, right? Right. So the movie looks cheap. At times. Now it's funny because Wu said in a bunch of interviews that he wanted to have like this, he wanted Ben Affleck to have a Cary Grant thing going on. Yeah, North by Northwest. And he referenced North by Northwest all the time, but there is nothing that that resembles North by Northwest. No, no, not really. (laughs) At all. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. You know, he's like, I don't know. So the the movie just doesn't carry all that. So does it, does it get the concept of Philip K. Dick? In yes. the beginning, it definitely it, it definitely does. I mean, it has the objects and they serve their function. Yeah. I mean, in that sense, it does. Right. Character-wise, you know, uh, story-wise, not so much. Right. And so it starts off with it definitely does the concept. My problem with the way they did it is that I like that the story, he gets the trinkets immediately at the beginning of the story, and it's like yeah. the, the mystery is there right away. Yeah, I don't understand why you need to explain how this company works prior yeah. to just doing it. Yeah, there's a lot of exposition before he just, before he gets the trinkets. There's almost like 15, 20 minutes of, of, and then the bow fighting, you yeah. know, like, <laughs> and the, bow fighting. the stick fighting for no reason, like, and then they, they used a totally different technique 
And for some reason, that's a subplot that has no value whatsoever. Right. You know, because they, they use some kind of heat thing with the Paul Giamatti's character, but the, then they use a different technology that's a chemical technology for his second thing. So he sort of remembers stuff, but it doesn't matter. None of that needed to be there. Yeah. I think, well, I think the idea, the, the reason, the reason they would say it was there is that in, uh, that he could only do a couple weeks at a time erasing memory. That from- was, why is that there? I don't, I don't <laughs> doesn't know. doesn't serve any function to the story. Well, I guess I would, <laughs> I would say it's because they took it out of, cause he's used to doing it through Paul Giamatti's character. Right. And by putting it through Rev Rick, Johnny, yeah. R- Ricky Rackman. <laughs> Ricky Rackman. <laughs> Rick <laughs> but, Ross. Rick Ross. By putting it through the corporation, it can lead to more of the, um, distrust and paranoia because he, he loses his normal control over it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but that doesn't, I'm not that, saying that, that it's, that is a terrible reason. I'm not I, saying I, it's the best reason. I'm just saying I think that's what it was. No, they needed a reason to have Paul Giamatti's character in it. Right. So they Why could couldn't have... he just be the technician? And by the way, Paul Giamatti is a dickhead. He is a... Oh, big, really? Yeah, he is a huge dickhead. He really wanted to be in this movie. Um, that was something that he, you know... And at the time, there was a while where he was trying to get... He was trying to produce a biopic oh. um, of of uh, Philly, Philly K. Philly D. Philly K. Um, <laughs> and so he, you know, and if you, if you recall this, doing this small role was, was interesting because I think this was after Sideways or right before Sideways, right around the time Sideways came out, which was, was it? big starring role. That's true. I think it was right before though. Was it right before? Let me, let me check. I got it. You keep talking. But yeah, Paul Giamatti was an interesting actor to be in this and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I always kind of enjoy seeing him on screen because he, I, I think he was the only one that kind of lent, leaned into the craziness of this. Right. Uh, yeah. Sideways was the year after. Wow. Okay. So he wasn't a big star yet because that was really the movie that made him into a star. Well, you know, he was, he was, well I, I'm known. looking at it. Yeah. Because he did American Splendor, which I know was an indie film. Yeah, but, but it, it was, it, it was he, a he played hit. Harvey Pekar, so and Harvey Pekar was a well known uh what do what do you call alternative figure. So Right. He yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, I mean and then when you got he said that Paramount I know John Wu said that Paramount suggested Uma Thurman to him. He didn't think she was available to him because this was definitely after Kill Bill. Well, yeah, it was this movie came out between uh, Kill Bill Volume 1 and Kill Bill Volume 2. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I knew that Kill Bill had, was somewhere in there. I'd seen Kill Bill. Yeah. So Uma Thurman being there was interesting timing. I know Aaron Eckhart hadn't played Two Face yet. So it wasn't <laughs> quite the star well, that he became later. He, but. he did do, uh, The Core, which was, I don't think, a successful film, but it no. was a big budget action movie. Yeah. So, and, and he started in that one. And Michael C. Hall, while he wasn't, he's not the big name that he is post Dexter. He was already on Six Feet Under, right? But this was his first movie role. But that's the thing is like, and for me, I think the, the two, two things 
that just really go wrong for me with the movie. One is that the budget and the lack of budget is all over the place. The, yeah. the action scenes, which is John Woo's trademark. Really aren't there. They, they really don't look that great. There's a couple of scenes on the motorcycle that I think look really good. Like when they go, then the camera flies in between the storage containers and there's when a, the, when the uh, semi truck hits the car, I thought that was a really good shot. Right. They pulled a shot where the tire was flying by and the, uh, and the glass from the lights was flying by. That was, that was a really good shot. And see, and you might be thinking like, well, why, what, what does it matter so much? The action scenes, but that's what John Woo's good at. Yeah. And that's what, if we were to do a podcast on hard boiled, we would be, there would be 15 or 20 scenes where like, how the hell did they pull that off? That's right. totally crazy. That looked amazing. Wasn't that awesome when the guy was on fire and the baby peed on him and put it out? <laughs> like, uh. Um, yeah, didn't they do in, wasn't it an eight and a half minute, uh, action follow shot? Yes. And hard boiled? Yes. Only split when they, when they went into if, the elevator. I don't know the exact number of minutes, but it, there was a really long single shot. Yeah. There's also that crazy scene where the motorcycle gets flipped in the air and like, it's, just, yeah. it's fucking, it's fucking nuts. incredible. Right. And so that's why we're saying that the, the thing with paycheck is like, even like the framing of the helicopter and the bike chase just looks bad. Yeah. It just, it, you know, and you're saying to yourself, like, how did John Woo sit in the editing room and not see this? You know, and maybe, and this, it's clear that this was the last movie where he was like, you know what? Fuck it. I think he had already given up at that point, huh? Yeah, he's like, I'm going back to China. I'm going to make the movies that I want to make. And he made his lifelong goal to do Red Cliff was like, it took him years still to get it made. But that was what he, you know, really wanted to That's do. That's what he wanted. <laughs> That's what he wanted to do. All of his life, he wanted to make a Red Cliff movie and he did. So, uh, but. Right, but the, what did the movie do well? I mean, the action was a little bleh. The, the performances were a little bleh and a little, uh, stilted and, and one dimensional. But what did it do well? Oh God. Uh, what did it do well? I'm going to give you one. All right. I'll start. I, well, I'll, <laughs> no, got, I got, got something. One. I think that it sold the concept well early on. Okay. In that same vein, I think it expanded on the concept when, and they, they did it very, uh, very poorly. By having Ben Affleck just tell you what they were doing, but they they showed that knowing if you know the future, then you're doomed to follow that future. And right. I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it because that's not in the story. Mm-hmm. You know, in the story, it's very very simple. This guy wants to get away with doing stuff. Well, and, and his former self helped him do it, and which I is would the say- same in in the movie. But when they broadened it to to include, you know, the U.S. goes to war because they see themselves going to war. There's famine because they see themselves in a famine. It's sort of self-fulfilling prophecy which due is to a, knowing the future. Which is a very – even though it doesn't – And if we from- knew more philosophy, I'm sure we would tell you exactly which philosopher would <laughs> – We don't. Would, would know that. We would, don't. You know, put forth that idea. Philip K. Dick. <laughs> uh, well, I would say that that is a very Philip K. Dick idea. And yeah, I exactly. Think, I think that they were being faithful to the concept there. Um, yeah, I, I I agree. I think that's one of the few things that this movie did well. Yeah, yeah, and I just couldn't get if over heavy-handed. Yeah, 
But, and, you know, like, when we get into the direction, some of it, it's like, I just don't know that he was the right guy to get the concepts, you know, like John Woo, because it's not his native language. And yeah, I just, you know, it's not to say that they're, I mean, Park Chan Wook is Korean did. No, oh, he's amazing. He's amazing. And he made Stoker. Did you, did you see Stoker? I have not. Stoker is fucking incredible. And you would never guess that it was directed by somebody who's. Native language is not English. Sure. Because the direct, the acting in it is fucking incredible. Right? And we have a lot of good, uh, you know, Spanish and, and Mexican directors that, that come Del over. And, yeah, there, yeah, there's a ton of them that they come over and can make really good movies. But even if, if you look at their, their track records, they have a couple of not very good movies to begin with. It, it just happens to all foreign directors. Yeah. And, and look, and I'm sure if our, if English language directors directing in other languages, I'm sure. Well, would, we yeah, know. would not go well. <laughs> well, and I know for a fact that, uh, for, for example, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, like, does not play well in the mainland China because, mm. um, Chow Young Fat and Michelle Yeoh are Cantonese speakers as far as. Right. And the movies in Mandarin. So I'm told uh, that they butcher the fuck out of Mandarin <laughs> in that movie. But that movie looks amazing to, to us. Right. Right. Because we're just like, whoa, man, this Chinese movie's amazing. <laughs> and, and Chinese. Yeah. Because to us, it's, it's totally great. But they, from what I'm told, uh, from what I've read, uh, that, on mainland China, Crouching Tiger is like kind of a laugh fest because hmm. the acting is like the delivery is so ridiculous in Mandarin. Right. Which pains me because I love Crouching Tiger and Dragon, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I want to see that again too. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I just don't have time to watch all this shit. But I, uh, I, I did, I liked the FBI agents. I liked yeah. their, their dynamic with their, uh, whoever it was, their, um, the attorney general, I guess, is who they were, according to this, mm. was the guy that they were talking to that that was in charge. And the two agents, um, Joe Morton and Michael C. Hall, were both like, all right, we can't trust this clown. <laughs> right. And they they figured it all out and what was going on. And and I that, liked that aspect. Yeah, and that kind of pays homage to, to Philly K, too. Yep. Yeah, I mean, is this – I would say – I don't know. Do you think here's an interesting question? Do you think this is better or worse than Imposter? I actually thought about that, <laughs> <laughs> and oh. I can't say I came to a satisfying conclusion on that. But uh, <laughs> but I think Imposter is a little worse. A little worse, just so. because it goes so far out into nowhere. You know, with all the the like saving the the poor people and all that stuff. Right. It just has nothing to do with anything in the main plot. So would our ranking go Verhoeven's Total Recall, Minority Report? Are we going from of, – of these four? Yeah, these four. Then okay. Paycheck and then Imposter. Yeah, I think that would be the order. Okay. Yeah, I think that would be the order too. Oh, man, Anthony's going to kick himself that he didn't get to rate those four <laughs> movies. <laughs> oh, shit. All right, uh, Paycheck. Do we, I mean, how much more do we have to say about Paycheck? Yeah, not much. Not much. 
I, I'm sure there's people out there that I, I mean, I didn't complete, I didn't hate it as much when I saw it in the theater as I did today. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. You know, what's really funny is it was made in 2003, but it looks way fucking older, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. It looks like the movie was from like the early nineties. Yeah. Those, like, uh, those special effects were bad. Not great. Yeah. I mean, seriously, the special effects in Total Recall are better. Um, I remember this is the time when Lord of the Rings was coming out. So that technology was, was there, was there, but they were spending all the money on Batfleck. <laughs> um, <laughs> God, why did they do that? They could have got, I, I'm telling you though, to me, this would have been a better movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm not going to do it again. Yeah, it looks older. It looks like an older movie. It doesn't look like 2003. It didn't hold up well. Uh, no. No. So we got a lot of negative things to say about it. Yeah, I definitely wanted to convince myself that I liked it. It's kind of like that feeling that I had when I went – because I'm a huge Jet Li fan, right? And when I went to see Cradle to the Grave. Oh, really? Jet Li in the theater. I went to the theater to see that, the one with BMX. <laughs> and like halfway through the movie, I'm like trying, sitting there trying to convince myself this isn't so bad. Right. This but is, you couldn't. But I couldn't. And I remember with Paycheck, I think I tried to convince myself a lot more. And maybe because I hadn't read the story at the time and I was kind of like, gee, I liked the concept so much, I think. Yeah, that, I mean, that is better. almost enough to, to engage anyone in the story. Right. It's just that concept, you know? And it goes on for way too long. It could have been 20 minutes shorter. Well, here's the thing. It's a two hour movie. There's no reason for this to be a two hour movie. No. Like I said, you cut that first 20 minutes, you work Paul Giamatti in, in a different spot. As the the technician that gives the shot. All right. What would, what do we think that Philly K would? What would uh, the man himself think about this movie? I, <laughs> hmm. Here's the thing: is that since they stuck to his his idea and just expanded on it, I think he would like that. Yeah. So, while I would, I really want to say he would hate it. I don't think he would hate this one. I don't think he would hate this one either. I don't think he would. I don't think he'd be like, "This is the best thing ever." Right, but I but think you, they stuck to it. Yeah, uh, but you know, uh, like just, recently, I don't think he would like the ending. Yeah, I like. I think he would have liked his ending much more. But you never know. I mean, and why wasn't it in the future? That's what he'd be saying the whole time. Yeah, I'm sure. Why he, is this not in the future? Yeah, he would definitely have that problem with it. Why is this 2004 and 2007? Right. You never know. See, that's the hard thing is like recently, um, Netflix released a movie of the silence by Tim LeBon. Yeah. And like, I just, I love that. I adore that novel. Okay. The silence was my top read of 2015. And the movie is absolutely terrible. Really? Right. Yeah. It was a terrible adaptation, but you know, I'm following, I follow Tim on Twitter and, He's saying all the right things about the movie and he's really proud of it and he's, he has a cameo in it and, you know, he seems to really like it. But for me, like, I'm just like, dude, they butchered your book. They got all the part, they got it all wrong. So, and just keep that in mind, though, people out there listening that first of all, the silence, the novel came before Quiet Place. Uh, and the novel is far superior to, to the crappy Netflix movie. And you should read the novel. Yeah, you can almost say that about every Netflix movie, though. Yeah. 
Yeah. Almost uh, everyone. Almost. I did really like that Andrew Nichol one that came out last year, the Anon. But anyways, and that was a dick-like suggestion at one time. Yeah. But so the last segment is like, how would we do this? How would we do this better? And I already said this. Set it in the future. Well, first of all, set it in the future. <laughs> really, honestly, give it the the sort of, uh, you know, rework in that uh, that politics versus business thing. I, I, I mean, that would would play really well right now. Well, first of all, I would, as I said earlier in the podcast, I think uh, as an episode of Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, one yeah, hour, make it an hour, <laughs> make it an hour, sell the concept, do really quick, easy world building in the you beginning. Know, he, Dick gave this gave the story a twist when he made um, uh, Kathy or whatever Kelly Kate, Kelly made her uh, uh, Rex Rith's daughter. Ricky that was Rackman's a, daughter. That was <laughs> that was a, a nice twist, I thought. Mm-hmm. And there was no twist in the movie. No, I think I think with uh, with an hour, you know. So when if we make it, if you make it into a movie, there has to be a twist like that, right? So okay, we. I think if you shorten it and do it like Electric Dream style, where it's just an hour, you don't even really have to do a huge budget. Really, you could no. you could do it. You'd almost do it like a bottle episode, just by having you just need Stewartsville, Iowa, and I mean you could even have well, it. It's all, not quite a bottle episode, but yeah, you know you got to have the. You have to have the the New York set and the and the the warehouse or whatever you want to call it factory whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it and the and the small town Stewartville. But your concept is what drives it, and just yeah, let the audience try to figure out what those items are for. Yeah. That to me is a main thing. And instead of just giving flashes of the items and not really any any concentrated shots of them. You have to have concentrated shots and Dick on did, these items. Dick did it correct. The movie should have opened with the credit sequence with Ben Affleck walking into the bank. Yep. And, you know, he can explain to the person working in the bank, you know, like when she's like, wow, you're expecting a lot of money. What did you do, buddy? Yeah, right. And like, well, I've been working on something for two years. What were you working on? Uh, I don't I know. don't know. Right, and then you started off right there, and then that's that's where the movie yeah. starts. And then he gets the trinkets and everything, and then he immediately gets arrested. How cool would that be in a movie? Yeah, if the guy just like gets those weird box bag of stuff, and then he's on the way out the door, immediately is arrested, and then has to escape using the trinkets. Yeah, and, and- the audience is immediately engaged. Right. And instead of learning about fucking bow fighting and and if it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> why did I do this? Why I didn't do this? Come on, I would never sign this. It's crazy. What do you mean? Nah, come on. But I don't think a lot has to be get changed. my trinkets now. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I don't think a lot has to be changed from the story. It just needs to be filled in around the story. Right, you know, give the characters a little more, a little more character. All right, dude. But for real, dickheads, you're gonna uh, talk to us next with uh, the penultimate truth. Are, are, don't we have to rate the movie? 
Oh, fuck. We got to rate the movie, don't we? All right. I'm going to give it. And by the way, before I do that, the rating goes seriously down for the last five minutes. There's like this weird montage <laughs> of, of like Ben Affleck, Uma Thurman, and Paul Giamatti just like being friends. Right. And like smiling at Running the camera. Running a nursery. <laughs> yeah. And laughing. And like, it's the most awkward fucking thing I've ever seen. It's like, what fucking movie were they Did making? I just step into? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. What the fuck was that? All anyway, right. What's your rating? So I'm gonna give it two boat or uh, fighting sticks out of <laughs> five, and it pains me to say it because I really wanted to like this movie a lot more. Yeah, I, I hate to agree with you, but uh, yeah, two is the maximum I could ever give this movie. I guess it would be a, a and much like imposter. I don't know what I don't know what I'm giving it. Much like Imposter, if there was a half an hour version or a 45 minute version, it'd probably be pretty good. Yeah. But god damn, there is not. There's, there's a two hour version. Two hours. And, and I, and I'm, and I'm not anti Ben Affleck because I do think he got better at, he did at everything. But, and I the, even like him in some of, some of the early stuff. I mean, yeah, like he's good in Dogma, for example, I think. <laughs> I think he was. Yeah, he's I don't good know. Now. He wasn't even that terrible in Daredevil, to be honest. The movie was terrible around him, but he yeah. w- he wasn't that terrible as Matt Ryan or um, uh, whatever the fuck Daredevil's name is. Um, Matt Matt Ryan Something. is that his name? No, <laughs> Matt Murdoch. <laughs> Matt Murdoch. Murdoch. <laughs> I am a nerd. Uh, so nerd yeah. credit salvaged. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I'm not anti Ben Affleck, but I just have to say that he is fucking awful in this movie. Yeah. He is sleepwalking the fuck out of this movie. But, All right, what are we doing next? <laughs> what are we doing next? The penultimate truth. Uh we will see you back for that. I'm starting reading it tomorrow. Have you started reading it yet? I've not started reading it okay. yet. Okay. So But we'll be doing that next. Yeah, we'll be doing penultimate truth, but we do have uh, an interview with Sam J. Miller coming up about Blackfish City. Yep. We have a bunch of interviews coming up here yeah. in the month of May. And I've got two more we got to do uh, coming up, So, which we'll talk about off air. So right. keep it paranoid, everybody. Stay paranoid, everyone. Stay paranoid, everyone.